If you have a Bible, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 15 this morning. Uh, Genesis 15, I would like for you also to put a bookmark in Romans chapter 4. We'll be turning there at the end of our time uh, together. But Genesis 15, we'll, we'll begin and we'll hear from God's Word before we begin our message. And again, Romans 4 later on, we'll turn there. God's Word says... In Genesis 15, verse 1, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me? Seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. Then Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars, if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it or credited it to him for righteousness. Thank God for his word. Are there ever days where you become frustrated with yourself? Maybe you're aggravated that things just aren't where you thought they would be. Things aren't going the way you hoped they would go at the point in life that you're at. You thought you'd be farther ahead. You thought you'd have more or you thought you'd be somewhere different. And I think we all have these moments. Uh, I know I have these moments. Sometimes I have these days where we just sort of grow weary and disheartened uh, about our situations and ourselves in general. Uh, and usually, usually, and not always, but usually our frustration about our situation stems from a need that we feel like is pressing, something that we don't have. Usually we're frustrated because we need something or need someone or need something to happen and it's just not happening for us. Uh, we're frustrated because there's an absence in our life of a resource, of a skill, of an opportunity. And if we could just fill that void, if we could just get that need, then the frustration would go away. But our life might change for the better. At least we believe that. Sometimes, you know, the, the problem is that we've dropped the ball. If we're being honest, sometimes we've dropped the ball and we've come up short. Maybe we just didn't have enough time. If we just had more time, things would have went differently for us, but we ran out. Maybe, you know, we tried our best and it just wasn't in the cards for us. We never even got close. It was never within our reach. You know, in almost every season, in almost every scenario, it always comes back to this place of if only I had more time, more money, more resources, more connections, more chances, if things just would have went a little differently for me or if things would have just come together for me, things could have been different. Have you ever been there? Maybe you're there right now, and, and, and the lovely thing about this world is that um, those things that are gated from us, they almost taunt us, uh, they almost taunt us with the requirements that we fall short of, right? That this world reminds us that we could have those things if only things went differently, that if things would have just came together for us, we could be there, and all around us, it's almost like we're taunted by what we need or what is absent in our lives, 
You know, behind every would-be purchase, there's a price tag. Behind every would-be job, there's a list of qualifications. Behind every personal hope and desire there, uh, that we may have, there are certain things that have to fall in place that just will not happen if things don't go a certain way. And, and, and with every destination, I think we could say this, with every destination that we dream of arriving at, there's a distance that must first be navigated, right? With every destination, with every place that you want to go to or get to in life, there's a distance that you've got to go to get there. And, and with that traveling distance, with that work, requires certain abilities, certain wisdom, and, and, and the means of going the distance. If you want to go somewhere and it requires a distance you must go to get there, if you don't have the means to go that distance and the ability to travel that distance, then there's not even a chance of getting close, is there? You know, sometimes we see the sign, we read the fine print, we just sort of drop our heads because it doesn't seem like we're going to get there anytime soon. Maybe never at all. You know, we thought we'd be farther alone in our personal lives, but relationships haven't worked out and everything was perfect and everybody was perfect and everything was going right, but then they left. Or then you got the news. Having kids wouldn't come easy for you as it did for others. Maybe something beyond either of your control in your family or your relationships. Maybe things beyond your control went all out of sorts. Everything was going great, and then your health went awry. Everything was going the way you wanted it to go. You saved the right amount of money. You made the right preparations, but then there are challenges that came into your life that you just could not handle the situation, and the things that you could control were overwhelmed by the things that were beyond your control. You know, when your dream is locked away behind a relationship, a degree, an amount of money, a skill, an ability, things that you just don't have and things that you just can't seem to get, it can be devastating, can it? Even worse, if you had something or you could have had something and it was taken from you, that can be even more disheartening and demoralizing, can it? You know, what's even worse and what makes it even harder, in today's world, everybody hasn't had the hardships or the difficulty that you've had. They plaster their success and their triumphs on every screen that you look at, don't they? So in this world, not only are we taunted by what we could have, we also are reminded by those that do have it, or at least their way of framing it. And that just fuels the notion even more, doesn't it? If only I had more or enough or another or a different, if only I had a better hand dealt to me. You know, we live in a world that spins on the axis of if only I had fueled by more, enough, another, better, or different. And obviously, there are things that require education. There are things that require ability. There are things that, you know, obviously material things cost. And, and yes, none of us are bulletproof and, and our health and our lives could all unravel at any gust of the wind. But to every person that can keep up with this world, there are dozens that can't. Sometimes it's our fault. Sometimes it's a combination. Sometimes uh, we just never had a chance. And we're completely, you know, it's not our fault at all. We just, it just wasn't meant to be, or it seems like it wasn't meant to be. Now, I bring all this up, not to get us all discouraged if you were already feeling this, this just brings you to the surface. I bring all this up for two reasons today. First, because I know we can all relate. I know everybody here has said those words, if only I had more, enough, another, different, or better. All of us can relate to this, but number two, this same sentiment has bled over in how we understand and relate to God. Whether you realize it or not, we allow this same sentiment to frustrate 
and separate us from God. So many of us feel as if these same frustrations, these same obstacles, these same barriers and these same gates, so many of us feel like they stand between us and God. And so many of us never have pursued a relationship with him or never have followed him beyond our initial uh, confession because we view it as something locked away beyond our reach because it's just not in the cards for us. You see, I've discovered, and I think you'll agree, if we're all being honest, I think all of us will say this is true in some ways about us, that if I only had, or if only I had, is one of the greatest deterrents to pursuing a relationship with God, one of the greatest obstacles in growing our relationship with God. I think all of us, again, if we're being truthful, would say, Yes, I would love to know God deeper. I would love to follow him closer. I would love to serve him purposefully. But I just don't know if that's possible for me. Maybe you don't really want it right now. You're just at a place where it's not a big deal to you. It is, it's a big deal to your wife. It's a big deal to your husband. It's a big, you want it to be a big deal to your kids, but it's just not a big deal to you, and you don't want to say that out loud. But if you're just being truthful, because God knows already, doesn't he? If we're just saying the truth right out loud... We just don't want to, and we're told that we should, but, you know, it's just never really meant that to me. Or maybe you're somebody that you really want to, and you really think that it would be great to, but life just isn't working out for you, and you've done too much wrong, or you've been too far, and you've went too far, and you just don't think that it's something that really would be possible. You've got so much baggage and so much stuff that you've got to sort through, and, I mean, on top of that, you just don't have the time, and you just don't have the means I think a lot of us have allowed this if only I had mentality to separate us from God. You know, we say our past, our current situation, our future forecast, all of it's working against us. And if I were somebody else, if, if I was in their shoes or, you know, if I had more or better or, you know, another maybe, but right now where I am, I just don't think there's enough going for me. And, and I want to say this and I hope everybody can hear me clearly. Did you know that the message of the Bible, the message of Christianity could not be farther from this idea that somehow, someway, we've got to get somewhere better or do something better or get farther if, we, if God could ever use us, if God can ever mean more to us? Did you know that if God could change one thing about you today, you think, well, I'd love for him to change this about me and I really would love for him to change this about the person next to me. If God could change one thing about us today, it would be this, this nature about us, this doubt or this resistance that God wants to know us and grow us and use us, that questions whether or not God has plans for us, that part of you that is often overwhelmed by guilt, and we've all been there, that part of you that's often overwhelmed by guilt, that part of you that questions your worth, that part of you that is often distracted by things that are far from God, things you, you're told aren't pleasing to God, and you wonder why you want to do stuff that the Bible says is wrong, but you just can't really stop doing it. You know, a lot of us, we feel like there's not a place for us in this faith or in this walk with God because of the things we've done, the things we might still do, the things that, you know, intentionally or unintentional are part of our lives. We're convinced we're just that, we're just convinced that we're not cut out to live a God-centered life. And, you know, if God could accomplish one thing in each of our lives today, if God could tear down one thing in your life today, it would be this barrier the enemy has built around following God, stepping into the life of knowing him, growing in him, and going for him. 
You know, in the world, we might be missing a whole lot of things that prevent us from becoming who we want to be, having what we want to have, doing what we want to do. But when it comes to our relationship with God, there is only one thing that stands in the way of us and Him that prevents our hearts and minds from embracing him and his plans for us. Some of you probably think, and maybe you've been told, that that one thing that stands in the way of you and God is sin. But it's not. Now, I'm not saying that we aren't sinners. We are, and we're good at it. All of us are sinners. But did you know that sin no longer keeps any of us from God? Whether it's sin that you've committed, you're in the middle of committing or planning on committing, sin does not keep any of us from being in a relationship with God any longer. You think, well, how is that? Because 2,000 years ago, God entered this world as one of you, as one of us. Jesus came into this world and was not held back by the things that hold us back. He walked with God. He talked with God. He worked for God. And, and, and let me say this. He did all of that without the world's fame, recognition, fortune, or power, or cooperation yet he did it because he was a part he had something that had never been seen before he had a connection with God that was authentic that permeated all that he did but the whole reason Jesus came wasn't just to show us how it's done but to step into our shoes and to take what holds us back and put it to an end he put it to an end by dying for us what keeps you from God or what's kept us from God he took to the cross and in the aftermath he removed it for good in his death all of our sin was forgiven and forgotten all of it you might not can forgive them and you might not can forget it but Jesus who again God has the mind that has everything in the universe you know you know controlled by it and figured out the mind of God chose to forget something as heinous as sin that disgraced his name. Whole other sermon is, and we say we can't, right? God forgave and forgot all of your sin in the death of his son. Your sin, my sin, our sin no longer stands between us and God because Jesus sits at God's right hand for us. But something does yet linger. Something can still keep us from God. Within all of us remains a nature that doubts and resists and sometimes opposes God in a relationship with him. Within all of us, there is a nature that we often call a sinful nature, but I think it would be better called an unbelieving nature. As flawed, fallen humans, we all inherited an unbelieving nature, a nature that naturally doubts and resists and opposes God and His way. The reason we doubt, the reason we resist, the reason we oppose is because at our core is this absence of trust in God. You see, our problem isn't that we are inclined to disobey God. It's way more serious than that. We disobey God because we do not trust God. Do you see that? We disobey God as an overflow of our lack of faith in God. Our lack of faith in God is what leads us to struggle to obey God. But it's important that we not confuse the symptom with the illness. Because if you only treat the symptom, you're dooming yourself to repeat the cycle. 
This is why the message of the Bible is not from front to back. The message of salvation, the message of sanctification is not obey God and do better. The message of the Bible from front to back is trust God. Do you hear that? The message of the Bible is not you've sinned, do better, work it off, get rid of it. The message of the Bible is you've sinned, we've sinned, we've all sinned. Jesus has taken your sin, my sin, all sin to the cross, nailed it to that cross, bled for it, covered it up, washed it away. Amen? He has removed the sin, yet we still have a nature that resists God. And it's not a disobedient nature. It's an unbelieving nature. Do you know that people that die and go to hell do not go because their sins are not forgiven. They go because they did not put faith in God. Isn't that the gospel? John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish. That what keeps us from God? Faith in Him. And, and that phrase, believe in Him, is a Greek phrase that John, according to all the scholars that have studied Greek literature, had never been used before and was not used since other than referencing this verse. John invented his own phrase. It's not believing that God exists, but it's putting faith in God. Believing as in putting my weight on, putting my trust in Him. If there, if there is one consistent message in the Bible from front to back, it's this. It's an invitation from God that invites you and me to trust in him, to shift your weight to God. You know, our scripture for today is one of the most important passages in all the Bible because it establishes this precedent. The story of Abraham foreshadows the work that God would do in Christ. Hebrews said God gave Abraham a glimpse of the cross 2,000 years in advance. The story of Abraham shows us, this is so incredible, and this is mind-blowing. The story of Abraham shows that God was not afraid to open a line of credit for people in exchange for a relationship. Do you hear that? That God wanted to have a relationship with people so bad before the cross would come. 2,000 years before Jesus would die on the cross to forgive the sins of people, past, present, and future. God wanted to relate with people so badly that he gave a line of credit to people. That's how the Old Testament saints were saved. Because they believed in what God would do. Might be the most important bit of information that you've ever heard about God in the Bible. That those in the Old Testament that get, came into a relationship with God, they were saved on the basis of what Jesus would do. Think about it. And we wonder if he can save us based on what he has done. You wonder if that can make a change in your life. When it changed, the miracles we read about, the stories we read about of God doing the most in the most people all came before the cross. Why would we ever doubt that God wants to know us? How would we ever ignore what he's done for us when it has so much power that it didn't just provide salvation for those who came after it, but it was enough to cover those who came before it? All who trusted that God would make a way were saved. And now to us the invitation is simply trust that God has made a way. 
Because we know what the way is. We know who the way is. But I know it may not seem simple for us in the moment, in our seasons of distractions. When we feel like we're not enough, when we feel like things aren't coming together, when we feel like things are so busy and so complicated, when we feel caught up in everything that's going on, it can be hard to give God our attention. But I think God's word for us today is too good to not at least consider. And actually, it, it should get our undivided attention, honestly. Abraham, as he's called in this passage before his name is changed, Abram is a whirlwind, is in a whirlwind at this point in his life. Just recently at age 75, he was in line with the rest of the world, one of a million people just hoping, wishing, grinding it out each day, trying to make something happen for himself. And Abram heard a voice from the heavens one day, and he's completely stunned. That voice is revealed as the God of Adam and the God of Enoch and the God of Noah, the God who created the world from which the whole world had walked away. That le there were legends that the world used to all speak one language, that they all dwelt together, uh, and that God uh, confirmed to Abram that those legends were true. But because of man's unbelief, they had drifted farther and farther from him with every generation. It all started in a garden where Adam and Eve wondered if they could trust God, and instead they put their faith in the words of a serpent who tried to empower them above God. You see, that's, that's the thing about our unbelieving nature. Not believing in God doesn't, believe, doesn't mean we don't believe in somebody or something. That's the big misconception of what it means to not have faith or to have, not have faith in God. We fell away from God, not because we did not have faith, but because our faith was in the wrong place. Do you see that? Mankind fell away from God because they put their faith in something besides God. You see, all of us have faith. All of us have faith. People say, I don't have a lot of faith. I'm struggling with my faith. I mean this, and I love you. You have more faith than maybe anybody you know. The question is, where is it? Now, the book of Hebrews defines faith. It does it in a kind of a spiritually positive way, but it can also be interpreted, it can be understood in the ways that we put it in the wrong place. Hebrews 11 says, faith is the assurance of things that we hope for and the conviction or the evidence of things not seen. So faith, when we put faith in something, it's, hey, I'm assured by that's coming true. I have conviction or I have evidence that the things I can't see will be true eventually. So let me ask you, where are you placing your hope? Where do you put your stock? Where is your security or maybe lack thereof rooted in? Our faith can be traced from where we derive our assurance and our convictions that drive us. And it could be any sort of motivation, even regressive kinds of faith, even negative, unhealthy motivations. Do you know that anxiety and worry, here's the devil's biggest lie that he tells us. You know, anxiety and worry is a kind of faith because you are putting confidence in something that you believe is true. And it comes across as worry and anxiety and fear, but you're really trusting in the worst possible things coming true, right? The things that you're hoping for or not hoping for, the things that you can't see, you're convinced it's the worst possible outcome. And you're giving your faith over to that outcome. People say, I don't have a lot of faith. Actually, you have more faith than anybody. 
When we worry, we have put our faith in a certain outcome, in a certain situation, in a certain scenario, and we have convinced ourselves that it's so true, nothing can take our faith out of it. If we're being honest, most of us are desperately trying to find something to hold us up, even if it's regressive at times. To keep us above water, we, we go from one float to another before we get taken under. And sometimes in this life, we get so used to being under the water, we think that's where we've got to live. This was Abraham. When he heard the voice of God, he began following him, hoping it would lead to a better place. Even his initial response of trusting God, he still had trouble after that. If you read the earlier part of Abraham's story, when a famine come over the land, God said, trust me. And Abraham said, I don't know if I can do that. I'm worried, so I'm going to go down to Egypt. And when he got to Egypt, he was worried that Pharaoh would take his wife from him and kill him. So he said, hey, she's my sister. Don't kill me, but take her. Clearly, he did not trust God with that situation, did he? When God promises to provide a son for them, they both take things in their own hands on more than one occasion and try to get things done another way. When Abraham's, Lot, Abraham's nephew Lot is, is caught up in a conflict, Abraham's worried uh, when he tries to save him that it's going to cost him in the long run. So with all that going on and all that, in the, all that is pulling at Abraham's heart, God comes to him in Genesis 15 with a word of assurance and hope. God says in Genesis 15, 1, Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield. I am your great reward. And this is God's word to us as he sees us frantically moving from float to float. You see, God knows why we act the way we act. God sees us panicking and clinging to this world and throwing ourselves on every little thing that might support us. And his word to us is like his word to Abram. But Abram expresses doubt in verse 2 and 3. Lord, what will you give me? Lord, you have given me nothing that I need. So Abram says to God, like we say to God, if only, if only I had more, better, different, if I just could get this one thing, God, it would be better. And in this moment, God invites Abraham to trade all of his if-onlys for just one. God invites Abraham to trade all of his if-onlys for just one. If only you had faith. Not that faith guarantees everything will go the way you want it to go, but faith that will supersede everything else. Faith that gives you connection to God, a confidence in God, that no matter what, if you trust Him, He will not let you down. He, here's the thing about faith. We talked about it a, a little bit, but we all have faith in something. Abraham had put his faith in his own inability. He had put his faith in the world's unpredictability. He had given his confidence over to the world's uncertainty. All that's faith. It's just a bad kind of faith. God invites us to trade inability, unpredictability, and uncertainty for faith in Him. In this moment, Abraham lets go of all of those if-onlys. He surrenders. He surrenders all of his doubts, all of his questions, all of his fears, all of his confusion, and trusts in God. And in that moment, he was changed forever. Verses 4 through 6, the Lord says, Go and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, so shall your descendants be. And verse 6 is such a monumental moment in history. He puts his faith in the Lord. He trusts in the Lord. He believes God's word. And the exchange is that God 
counts him. God gives him a credit of righteousness. God credits Abram a righteous standing with him on the basis of faith in God. Think of it. God gave Abram a good credit score for life. The world may not accept Abram. It may not reciprocate Abram's efforts. But if he comes to God by faith, he will always be accepted and always find help. That's what this statement means. But, but nobody understood the nature of the transaction because it was the first of its kind. It was a preview of what would be done for all of us and that is available to all of us. God's righteousness, not our own, not what we bring, not what we do. God's own righteousness that was purchased for us on Jesus' cross. So when God sees you, he sees someone that is perfect and complete and whole because he sees Jesus, not you. What comes after this is even more incredible. Verse number six, God credits him righteousness, but I want to explain what comes next. The language used in this verse is a, is a business relationship language. In the ancient world, if one party had power over another and that other party wanted something that the greater one had, they would promise uh, the other that they would do something in exchange uh, and, and, and the greater party would say, as long as you do something for me, I'll give you what you want. And as with any contract, there was a catch and, and the, the needing party would fall out if they didn't measure up. So what comes next is even more amazing and it shows that this is much more than a business deal. The custom of two parties making a covenant in the old days was something calling, called cutting a covenant, which would involve rituals and animals. And animals would be sacrificed to God and the carcasses would be cut in half and the two parties would walk between those carcasses as if to say, this is how willing I am to keep my part of the deal. My word is as good as the blood of these animals. If I fail my part of the deal, do unto me as was done to these animals. But I'm promising you, as these animals have been cut in half, as their blood has been poured out on the ground, I am giving you my word. You can trust me. Now again, in ancient covenant practice, both parties would walk between the, between the bodies as if to shake each other's hands. But the story says that Abraham was put to sleep by God. In verse 17, it says, When the sun went down and it was dark, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. And on the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. But Abram does not pass between the bodies. Because Abram did not make a covenant with God this day. God made a covenant with Abram. And this is the nature of God's covenant towards us. God says to Abram and he says to us, this is all on me. My word is as good as my blood. And the cross, of course, is the proof that Jesus gave his blood to promise us, to show us this is trustworthy. God made a covenant with Abraham based entirely on his own promises and his own power. And he's made that same covenant with me and you. Abraham would always have full access to God on the basis of faith alone. Not what he did, not what he could give, but on what God had done and on what God had given. Now I ask you to turn over to Mark Romans because I want to close there by reading some scripture. Romans 4 verse 16 through 25 
And I want you to listen to how the Apostle Paul takes Abraham's story and says it's a prototype of all of our stories. Putting our faith in God. Romans 4 verse 16, therefore it is of or by faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. In the presence of him whom he believed, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope, in hope, believed so that he became the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was a hundred years old in the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully convinced that, he was, that what he had promised, he was able to perform, and therefore it was accounted or credited to him for righteousness." Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. This is the gospel, as simple as it can be. God calls for a transition of trust and a return. In return, there's a transaction of righteousness. God says to you and I, says to me, by trusting in me, I am giving you my righteousness. We shift our trust into Jesus, and God gifts us with the promise and the power of Jesus. When we make a choice to rest in the finished work of Jesus away from other unfinished, unreliable works, we step into life of confidence and completion that can only be found in him. Romans 4.16 is such a powerful verse. It depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace. This verse explains why faith is the only way we'll get to the heart of God. Why faith is what it takes to save us and complete us. Faith in God. There's a few reasons. Number one, by faith is an equal opportunity for all. By faith means that everybody can get to God the same way. We all have the capacity to trust in something. Most of us spend that trusting in things that will never give us peace or rest. In return, we're driven by fear. But Jesus died for everyone and welcomes everyone to come to him and trust in him. There are no greater thans and there are no lesser thans in the kingdom of God. There are only equal twos. Do you hear that? There are no greater thans. There are no equal thans. By faith guarantees an equal opportunity for everyone. Second reason by faith is the way is by faith gives maximum glory to God. There would not be a possibility for us to have this hope apart from God doing all the work. Heaven forbid we act as if we've done anything or contribute anything because that sends a message that won't help anybody. The story of Abraham proves that God is working in ways that will glorify his name, which may well prove confounding to us. 
maximizing God's glory maximizes his ability to change our stories. Why do we talk about God's glory all the time? Because maximizing what glorifies him maximizes his ability to change our stories. Faith in him activates a fearlessness and freedom in our lives. If we put our faith in our own ability, our own righteousness, we become bitter, we become prideful, we become weak. This isn't about being reckless or foolish, but this is about being able to do what verse 20 and 21 tells us, that Abraham did not waver at the promise of God, but was strengthened, giving glory to God, being convinced that God could do what he said he would do. How convinced are you? There is an encounter with God that you will never obtain if you have to have everything explained for you ahead of time. If you are waiting for God to give you more, better, different, another, then you're not going it, doing it for God's glory and you're costing yourself his ability to change your story. God is only active where he can be most glorified and that's where we are most strengthened you know, when people talk about stepping out on faith, we often think about jumping into the unknown. But let me make it very clear. Stepping out on faith is not the absence of security. It's the realization of maximum security. Right? Because when you're stepping out on God, he, the Bible says in Psalm 18, 31, 42, 61, 62, 71, and much more, God is our rock and our refuge. When you step out into faith and step out onto God, you're not stepping out onto some cloud of uncertainty. You're stepping out onto maximum security. And you know what that means? Maximum glory to God equals and leads to maximum goodness of God. When you are doing it for God's glory, that is going to produce the maximum amount of, amount of God's goodness in your life as possible. But if you have to have all the evidence and all the you know, it, it, things spelled out, if you're waiting for everything to make sense and everything to feel like it, you know, what you want it to feel like, if you're waiting for the road to be paved for you, then the maximum goodness of God is limited for you. And also... If we leave room for any glory besides that which gives God all the recognition, we are leaving room for ourselves. And if we leave room for ourselves, we're just leaving room for a mess to be made. Isn't it true? And that's why the, by faith, lastly, is so important. Because by faith means minimum failure for us. By faith means I'm taking my part out. I'm taking my hands off. I'm not allowing for myself to mess it up. I'm taking my hands off, putting my faith in God, so that way we are minimizing failure. Because God says it's all on me. When we trust in God and wait for Him, to wait for him and follow Him, we aren't allowing ourselves to get in the way and make a mess of things. The if onlys we wait for pale in comparison of what He can provide and promises to provide the things we want are prone to failure but the things that God promises and provides are fail proof and never supply constrained this is why by faith is better this is why by faith is the way that God operates. This is why it's by faith, so that it may rest on God's grace. God's grace that saves us from sorrow and self and from sin. 
Romans 4, 22, and therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness by faith, and this was not written to him for his sake alone, but that but also for us, it shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead, who was delivered because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. So not only was Abraham's story Abraham's story, but it's our story as well. Jesus died to give you this sort of relationship with God that allows you to be forgiven of your sins, be freed from yourself. If you've never surrendered to God, a point in time where you've confessed that you can't, but I believe God can. Because I trust in what Jesus did. Then why not make that day today? Where you trade your inability, your unpredictability, and your uncertainty for faith in Jesus. Let me ask you this. As a Christian, how many of you are, are still giving more power to what's unpredictable, what's uncertain, and what you are unable to do? How many of you as Christians are still saying, if only things would be different? That's not by faith. That's leaving room for failure, and that's cutting out the maximum goodness of God. But the gospel says, when we can't, God can when we doubt, God knows. When we fear, God saves. Even if you're a Christian, we need to renew our faith in him day after day because our minds constantly wonder if we, there might be a better way. But there isn't. God is reaching out to all of us today and he's calling us to step out and trust in him, to take him at his word, believing what he says about us and what he says about himself. We can have this confidence, clarity, and peace if we just surrender to him by faith. Because faith alone is what joins us to God, what justifies us before God, and what keeps us in him. Of all the if-onlys that we ponder, this is the if-only that matters. If only we had faith. God would give us peace and grace. It would rest in him. If only we had faith, Jesus' promise of power would rest on us. If you've never transferred your trust out of yourself, out of this world, or anything onto God, it's real simple. You've just got to confess that you've trusted in all the wrong things. And today you want to put your faith in Jesus. You believe he died for you. You believe his resurrection was for you. You believe that God is for you and you want what he has for you. If you want it, if you seek it, if you surrender to it, you can have it. You can have him. Whether for the first time, for another time, for all time, faith is the key. May God give us all a fresh dose of faith today. We all want more faith, don't we? May God give us all a fresh dose of faith. May we rest in his grace and may his grace rest on us. This is why it is by faith, so that we may rest in God's grace and that his grace might rest on us.